Thank you for listening to the City Lights podcast. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. We hope you enjoy the message. All right. We have been in a series called Has God Said? Many times the things in our life that we know that are clearly stated and understood in Scripture, the enemy of our soul comes and he sows a seed of doubt in the form of a question. He said to Eve, to Eve in Genesis 3.1, has God said you shall not eat from the tree, from any tree of the garden? Has God said that? Right? It was a, it was a, it was a question to be uh, sowed uh, the seed of doubt. Did God really say that to you? Does the Bible really mean that? Is the Bible even a reliable source? Is that, is that thing a really, is that a really big deal, right? Many times the enemy of our soul comes and he sows a seed in the form of a question. Much of what is clearly stated and understood, understood in scripture is being questioned in our today's society. All right, so we're going after some of those questions. Part one, we, uh, we just hit the ground running here. We asked the question, are there only two genders? This is a big question. Are, are gender and sex the same thing? Is there, a, is there gender fluidity? Is there gender spectrum? Is, that, is there such a thing? Or what has God designed? Okay, we, we did that in part one. Part two, we asked the question, is the nuclear family really God's plan? Do strong traditional families really produce strong societies? Do we really need both masculine and feminine influence to raise kids? Do we really need both those? Can you... Can you Just have one or the other. Now, God's grace will cover you if you just have one or the other, obviously. But do you really need both? Okay, we went after that in part two. Part three and four, we've really just been tackling, is the Bible God's word? Is this the infallible scripture from God, or is it just kind of poetic allegory? Okay, is it something for you to stand on today? We've been going after that. And so... Uh, We're going to continue in that vein and continue um, talking about, is the Bible God's inspired word of God? Okay. Um, So has God said that the Bible is inspired by him? Has God said that this is his word? Well, according to the Bible, the Bible's claim of itself is that it is the word of God. Okay. Let's, Let's read these scriptures. We'll review them real quick. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17, it says this. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love that scripture. Listen, if you don't feel thoroughly equipped for every work that he's called you to, guess what? You have the Bible here to help you be thoroughly equipped for every good work that he has called you to. Amen? 2 Peter 1, 19 through 20, it says this. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you would do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by a prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." Okay, so the Bible's claim was and is that it is inspired by God and not just human will. That man didn't just make this Bible up and that it's completely reliable. That's its claim of itself, okay? 
So um, I've cited uh, six pieces of evidence that I want to use and continue to use to prove that the Bible is indeed God's word. Here they are. Um, Week one, uh, part three of this series, we talked about the fact um, that there is archaeological and historical evidence to back up the Bible. Last week, we talked about the scientific evidence um, of the Bible, that the Bible doesn't contradict science, but they actually um, coexist and they, um, they complement one another. And then, of course, there's the manuscript evidence, the wisdom contained in the Bible as being self-evident of the Bible, and then the prophetic evidence. This week, I want to jump down and I want to talk about the prophetic evidence for the Bible, that the Bible actually proves itself to be true by what is written in it, okay? When you read the Bible, you can see that it's self-evident that it proves itself to be true and cross-referencing scriptures prove themselves to be true, okay? So before we get into that, I have a prophecy joke. Okay. (laughs) Moshe, a medieval Jewish prophet, prophesied that the king's uh, favorite horse would soon die. Sure enough, the horse died a short time later. The king was outraged at the prophet, certain that his prophecy had brought about the horse's death. He summoned Moshe and commanded him, Prophet, tell me, when will you die? Moshe realized that no matter what he was going to say, the king was planning on killing him at that moment. So he had to decide very carefully what to say. Moshe replied, I do not know when I will die. I only know that when I die, the king will die three days later. And Moshe lived a long, pampered life. Okay. (laughs) Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5 says this. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. I don't know about you, but I have tried my best to live my life on the foundation of the scripture. And for me, I have found that every word of God proves to be true And that I can take refuge in him. Every word of God proves true. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. The wisdom of the Bible and the predictions, the prophetic predictions of the Bible, prove themselves to be true. The Bible doesn't just um, give, you know, vague predictions. There are actually very specific predictions in the Bible in detail that are, are predicted hundreds sometimes, and if not thousands of years ahead of time before they happen, okay? I don't know of any other book that gives detailed prophecies thousands, hundreds, or sometimes thousands of years before they occur, okay? There are approximately 2,500 prophecies in the Bible, and about 2,000 of them have already taken place, okay? So there's, what does that leave us? That leaves us about 500 remaining prophecies of Scripture that have yet to be fulfilled, that will be fulfilled, Amen? So how many of that's a pretty good track record? The Bible has a pretty good track record. Four out of five prophecies spoken in the word have already happened, leaving about um, one-fifth of them to be left, okay? So I want to give you today, I want to give you a few examples of the accuracy and the, the amazing um, infallibleness uh, of the scripture, okay? So we'll look at a few places today, and hopefully you'll see this for yourself. So uh, we'll start in the book of Daniel, for one. The book of Daniel's amazing uh, book. If you've never read Daniel, go read Daniel. It's some good stuff. Uh, some of what is in Daniel uh, 
happened in Daniel's time. Some was to happen immediately after Daniel's time. And some things that Daniel wrote about have yet to still happen, okay? And so we have a a past, present, and future kind of context in the book of Daniel. But in the 11th chapter of the book of Daniel, um, by the way, um, Daniel was written, uh, Daniel wrote Daniel in 500 BC, uh, and he writes this. He writes that, um, that there would come a time that there would, there would be an empire that would come that would dominate the world. Okay, so Daniel speaks of this empire that will dominate the world. And he says, then one day that empire, the, the leader of that empire, will, will be suddenly cut off, and then that empire will be divided into four empires. And then those four empires will merge back into two empires. And then those two empires will merge into one empire. And then the Messiah will be born. Okay. So listen, Daniel writes um, about Jesus. He writes about the Messiah 500 years before Jesus comes on the scene. Okay. So, uh, so in 300 BC, this is what happens. In 300 BC, again, the book of Daniel is written about 500 BC. 200 years later, 300 BC, Alexander the Great had an empire that dominated the known world at that time. Uh, Alexander the Great was suddenly killed at the age of 32. And normally, when someone's killed, you know, their, their empire, their, their kingdom goes to their kids. Well, that didn't happen. What happened was his kingdom went to his four generals. So his, immediately the empire goes from him, he dies, and then his four generals take over. Then those four empires, those four generals, became two, they, they merged. They became two empires, uh, the Salid Empire and the Ptolemaic Empire. Okay, you can read, this is all in history. Okay, this isn't like just the Bible. Then those two empires merged and became the Roman Empire. And then Jesus was born. Okay, that is a specific prophecy, uh, very specific. Um, one of the most specific prophecies in all the Bible. How do you explain that one? Okay, how do you write that one off? You can't. Even, even historians today are confounded by the accuracy of this scripture, of this prophecy. Okay, it's one of the most detailed in scripture. But I, what I want to do today, primarily what I want to do, is I want to highlight some of the messianic uh, prophecies. Messianic prophecies are those that speak of, of Jesus, Jesus the Messiah. So what I love about the messianic prophecies is they really tie the Old Testament to the New Testament. Because it foretells of what, this, what should the Messiah look like. How many know if there's a Messiah coming, we should be able to recognize who he is, right? The Jewish people should have some things to be able to recognize who the Messiah is. These are the messianic prophecies. Jesus is at the epicenter of biblical prophecy. Okay? There, are over, there are 50 to 60 prophecies specific to Jesus' first coming, all of which have taken place. There's about 300 references in the Old Testament to Christ but 50 to 60 specific prophecies of Jesus, okay? Um, let me give you an example. Uh, King David and Zechariah spoke of crucifixion long before it happened. In fact, David wrote of, of a crucifixion a thousand years before Jesus came on the scene. Okay, that's pretty good. And 500 years before anyone was crucified. So the first record of someone being crucified that we have is in 497 B.C., and David and Zechariah speak of this. I'm going to read uh, Psalms chapter 22. We're going to do a couple of scriptures here. Verse 1, it says this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the, uh, my cries of anguish. How many know that 
that was prophesied by David that was fulfilled on the cross. And uh, Matthew 27, verses 46 says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was on the cross. Did you know that, that your sin, our, our sin was placed upon Jesus when he was on the cross? And for a moment, God, for, the, for a moment, God had to look away from, from Jesus because the, the ugliness of sin was placed upon him and God cannot look upon anything that is unpure because he's pure, okay? Let me say it like this. Jesus was rejected so that you could be accepted. Amen? He was made unrecognizable so that you could become recognizable. One of the themes that we've, we've had here today just within the ministry is that you are seen. He sees you. You are seen because Jesus became unseen for you, okay? God had to look away. Why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said this on the cross, okay? He was rejected. He was made unrecognizable. You are seen today because of the work of Jesus. Verse 7 says this. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Okay, again, this was fulfilled in Matthew 27, verses 39 through 44. We know that when Jesus was on the cross, the people passing by, they hurled insults at him. The Pharisees hurled insults at him. You said you're going to rebuild the temple in three days, and now you can't even save yourself, right? Verse 16 says this. Dogs surround me. And again, this is a thousand years before Jesus. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierced my hands... And my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Okay, this is an amazingly accurate picture of what Jesus went through. We, of course, know piercing your hands and feet is a picture of crucifixion. But how do you arrange for it? How do you arrange for it that some Roman guards would gamble for your clothing? How do you arrange for that? How do you make that happen? That's impossible, right? Of the specific uh, 50 prophecies of Christ, I have a question. What are the odds of you being able, or any person being able to fulfill all of them? Okay, most of these are beyond someone's control, okay? And so what what are the odds, what is the, by chance, a person in that day and age, in the first century, being able to fulfill all these prophecies? Obviously, it's incomprehensible to calculate the odds of that. But uh, this is interesting, a number of years ago, a man named uh, Dr. Peter Stoner, he wasn't high, okay? Because <laughs> he maybe wasn't from Colorado. All right. A number of years ago, a man named Dr. Peter Stoner, uh, the emeritus uh, professor at science at Edmond University, he decided to determine the odds of someone be, being able to fulfill eight of the major messianic prophecies, okay? So Dr. Stoner, we'll call him, and Dr. Uh, Robert Newman, they wrote a book that, that called Science Speaks. The book was based upon the scientific probability and vouched for by the American Scientific Affiliation. Okay? They set out to find the odds of any one man in all of history being able to fulfill just eight out of the major, uh, 50 major prophecies fulfilled in the life of Christ. Okay? Now, these prophecies, and we're going to read them here in just a minute, they are prophecies that aren't just written about in the Bible. They're prophecies that historical... Um, historians, they're, they're written in, in history, okay? So they're confirmed outside of the Bible. Got it? Okay, that history tells us they're true, not just the Bible. So here they are. Eight historically documented prophecies. 
Number one, the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. That's Micah 5.2. Number two, that the Messiah would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. That's Zechariah 11, uh, 12 through 13. That the Messiah's clothes would be gambled away. We just read that scripture. Number four, the Messiah's hands would be pierced. We just read that in Psalms, and, and it's also in Zechariah. Number five, the Messiah's bones would not be broken. I think this is an interesting one. Um, in Exodus chapter 12, verses 46, when God's talking to the children of Israel about the pa- how to, how to uh, um, eat the Passover lamb. How many know Jesus was the, the lamb of God, sacrificed for the sins of humanity? He, there's a specific instruction there not to break the bones of the Passover lamb. Did you guys know this? And then it's also reflected in, in Psalms chapter 34, verse 20, that the Messiah's bones would not, were not to be broken, okay? How many know that Jesus' bones, they came very, very close to being broken, but in fulfillment with the scripture, they were not. And here's why. When Jesus was on the cross, it was getting later in the day, and um, you know, the weather was getting bad, and they decided to, to break the legs of the people on the cross so that they could no longer hold themselves up. When you're on the cross, you... Um, you have to push up on your feet to be able to take a breath because you're hanging. It's death by asphyxiation. Did I say that right? No. You know what I mean. Death by not being able to breathe. Okay. So what do they do? They come along. They break the legs of the two people that are crucified with Jesus so they can no longer hold themselves up and they would die. They get to Jesus ready to break his legs and they find that Jesus is already dead. And so they don't break his legs. Of course, they put the spear in his side to just confirm that he is indeed dead. He he came very close to having bones broken, but none of them were broken, okay? That's an amazing prophecy. Okay, number six, uh, the Messiah was to be born in the tribe of Judah. Jesus, of course, is the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's Isaiah 37, 31. Uh, Number seven, the Messiah would be called from Egypt, Okay, that's a, one that you could never control. When Jesus was a little child or a baby, they, he, was, he was supposed to be born in Nazareth, right? That's where Joseph and Mary were at. Then because of a census, they had to go to um, Bethlehem. I'm just thinking Jerusalem. They went to Bethlehem because of a census where Joseph had to go back to his hometown. Then he's born in that town, but then he's for a short time, has to go to Egypt, fulfilling a scripture that the Bible talks about. And then he goes, they go back into Israel and go to Nazareth where Jesus was raised. Okay, how do you control any of that? You can't control any of that. Those are all done before you're making decisions for yourself. Okay, so he'd be called from Egypt. He'd spend a short time in Egypt. Uh, number eight, the Messiah would be buried in a rich man's grave. Isaiah 53 verse 9. Okay, so what are the odds of one person being able to fulfill all of these prophecies, all right? Um, By the way, they calculated the odds of like one of them, for example, being born in Bethlehem in the first century. What are the odds of that? And they they figured the odds for that are about one in 300,000. Okay, so that's not very good odds, but there's one of them. They did their calculations and they submitted to the American Scientific Affiliation and their determination was these results are dependable and accurate, okay? This was a study done a couple decades ago, okay? What is the odds of one person fulfilling all of eight of these prophecies? The odds are they determined one, uh, one chance in 10 to the 17th power. Okay, so that's one with 17 zeros. That's the, 
Those are the odds of any one person being able to fulfill just eight of the Messianic prophecies. We're not even talking about the rest of the, the 50, okay? Now, we did this last week. We talked about, you know, these huge numbers that I think many times are hard for us to put our brains around. It's like, okay, yeah, big number. What are the odds? You know, um, so they did something to try to help people understand, to picture what this is like. Um, how many know that if we, if I took a hat and we put, you know, 10 silver dollars in it and I marked one of the silver dollars and I shook it up, what would be the odds of you getting the silver dollar that was marked? It'd be one, one in 10, right? Those are the odds, okay? So this is the illustration they come up with to help illustrate this. How many know that the state of Texas is a rather large state? Welcome to history or uh, geography class, okay? Um, largest state in the lower, the lower 48, okay? Very large state. Um, uh, go ahead and put up that picture, by the way. We have a picture of Texas. Now, they say that if you took Texas and you folded it to, uh, to the west, to the Pacific, that it would, it would go into the Pacific Ocean. If you folded it to the east, it would go into the Atlantic Ocean. If you folded it down, it would reach past Mexico into the ocean. And if you folded it up, it would almost reach Canada. Okay, so Texas is a big state. It's uh, 791 miles across, okay? And almost the same up and down. So this is the illustration they gave. You would have to cover Texas, the state of Texas, with silver dollars. And then make those silver dollars two feet thick. That is one one chance in 10 to the 17th power. That's what that looks like, okay? And the illustration is this. You blindfold one person, and you take them to the edge of Texas, and you just say, okay, you're blindfolded. There's silver dollars. are two feet thick. We've marked one, one of those silver dollars, and we put it randomly somewhere in the whole state. You have one chance to go out and find that blindfolded. What do you think, the, what are the odds of someone getting that silver dollar? It's one in 10 to the 17th power, okay? In other words, it's really, 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 really low that they would, that they would fulfill all these prophecies. Listen, it was designed that way so that you and I would be able to recognize that Jesus is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He is the Messiah. He is the one to put your faith and trust in, okay? It was designed to be highly, highly, highly improbable that anyone could ever fulfill all the prophecies of Jesus, okay? It was designed on purpose that way, all right? So um, now maybe some of you, you're having difficulty even wrapping your mind around the state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars, like, okay, whatever. But I'll, have, I'll play another, I'll play a video for you to help illustrate this point as well. So go ahead and roll that video. I want to ask you a question straight out, flat out. I want you to give me the honest answer. What do you think the chances are of a guy like you and a girl like me ending up together? Well, Lloyd, that's difficult to say. And we really don't hit me with it. Just give it to me straight. I came a long way just to see you, Mary. Just least you can do is level with me. What are my chances? Not good. You mean not good like one out of a hundred? I'd say 
More like one out of a million. So you're telling me there's a chance? Yeah! <laughs> My daughter watched that movie for the first time yesterday. And she's like, he's so stupid. <laughs> There's not a chance, you know. She doesn't get it. Yet this is what we do. Okay, so that's one in a million, which is not even close to one in 10 to the 17th power. But this is how many know what we do. The odds of all of this happening and Jesus being the one and only are so, so, so small, okay? The Bible is an amazing book. Jesus is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. It is confirmed through scripture. It is scientifically, mathematically accurate, and these scriptures are true, and history tells us they are true, okay? It's not just the Bible itself. History itself tells us that the things prophesied in the Bible come to pass and are still coming to pass, amen? The prophet Jeremiah, he wrote to the Israelites um, in the time just before Israel was conquered in 586 B.C., um, he writes between 629 B.C. and the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. And Jeremiah, of course, was warning the children of Israel over and over to repent and to turn away from their sin so that God wouldn't come and, and remove them from the land. And um, in the 25th chapter of the book of Jeremiah, he foretells that the Israelites would be held captive in the Babylonian lands for 70 years. And at the end of 70 years, they would be released from Babylon um, when another nation conquered Babylon, okay? So nearly a century later, Daniel is reading from the book of Jeremiah, okay? Daniel is serving as a mid-level manager in the Medes' kingdom of uh, Xerxes. Oh my gosh, Xerxes? Xerxes, there you go. I, could, I promise I can say all these words, but when you get up here, they just evaporate, Okay. <laughs> So Daniel chapter, look at this, Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, it says this. In the first year of Darius, of son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who, made, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, watch this, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer, petition, petition and fasting and sackcloth and ashes, okay? Daniel foresaw through the scriptures, through the book of Daniel, that the Jews would be allowed to return to Jerusalem. So what did he do? He began to pray. He began to fast. He began to plead with the Lord. Lord, you said through the prophet Jeremiah that we'd be able to return to the land. What did he do? He began to participate in the prophetic word that was given. How many know that Prophecy is given, but many times we are given the opportunity to participate in those prophetic words. If, you, if you're given a prophetic word, it's like, yeah, you know what? Some things will just happen whether you like them or not. But we are, church, we, the dignity of our lives is that we are able to find out what God has said and step in line with it and participate in these prophecies. He saw and understood and discerned from the scripture that Israel would be able to return to the homeland. How many know that the prophecies of this book, of the book of Revelation and Daniel and other places, to an extent are sealed up until the time of their fulfilling. 
But we can discern events as they begin to unfold. And there are yet events to unfold that are written out in this book, okay? So what I want to encourage you guys to do is realize we have an amazing book. We have an amazing book, and we need to be in it. We need to read it. We need to understand and get wisdom from the scriptures, get understanding from the scriptures, and find out where we are on the timeline of scripture, okay? And when we see those things beginning to line up and coincide, we can participate prophetically with the Lord. We can pray and fast into those things. God, bring it to pass. Next week, I want to I bring... Um, into focus a few current events that I believe are coinciding with Scripture. Next week, I want to preach about the nation of Israel, and I want to talk about why Christians should be a support to the Jewish people and the nation of Israel, okay? And listen, the nation of Israel itself is a sign and a wonder. It's a sign and a wonder. I mentioned here that in 586 B.C., Jerusalem was destroyed, and the Jews were allowed to return to Jerusalem some 70 years later, well, it was destroyed again in 70 AD, and the Jewish people were without a homeland for nearly 2,000 years. And in 1948, God brought them back to their homeland, okay, fulfilling a lot of biblical prophecies. So in the lifetime of some of you here, and in the not-too-distant uh, past, uh, prophecy was being fulfilled and is being fulfilled. Um, there are some events um, unfolding now that I believe correspond very well to Ezekiel chapter 38. I want to talk about those next week. They're not a fulfillment of Ezekiel 38 because Ezekiel 38 talks about a war yet to take place between Israel and some other nations. But some of what I'm seeing is coinciding and lining up with Ezekiel chapter 38 and setting the stage for what will happen at some point. And so I want to talk about that next week. And uh, yeah, we want to participate with the prophetic message the Lord has given us. Daniel saw and understood the times and seasons that he was living in, and he reacted to it. It says in the Bible that the sons of Issachar, they understood the times and seasons that they lived in and knew what Israel should do. How many know if we are discerning of the times and seasons we live in, we will know how we are supposed to react. We, are no, we will know how we are supposed to prophetically react and pray into things. Amen? And we can do that more and more as things unfold. We can participate with the Lord. Amen? Okay, so I want to pray over you guys, and then we'll, we'll close here. Father, we love you. We thank you for the amazing uh, scriptures that you have given us, Lord God, that not one of them will fall, not one of them will fail, Lord Jesus. Jesus, you, you completed and fulfilled every requirement that the Bible spoke of, every messianic prophecy you fulfilled in your first coming, but there are yet some to be fulfilled, Lord God, and you will fulfill at your second coming, Lord Jesus. Lord, we look to you today, the author and the finisher of our faith, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. We trust you, Lord Jesus. God, I ask that these words would not just be words on a page to us, but the Holy Spirit would come and shine light on them and make them come alive in our hearts, Lord God, that we would be thoroughly equipped for every good work you've called us to, Lord Jesus. God, I bless your people today, and I pray, God, we would be people of the word. We'd be people of the Bible, that this would be our food, Lord Jesus. Man lives not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If you want to do well, get his words in you. Do, get your, his words inside of you, Lord. So we love you. We bless you today, Jesus. And we thank you for your grace on our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right. Thanks again for tuning into the City Lights podcast. We appreciate your support, and we'd love to fellowship with you. 
You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. Be sure to check out our website at citylights.church, where you can submit prayer requests, receive info on special events, and find our social media links. We're glad you could join us, and we hope you have a blessed week.